Did you know the British mobile operator Vodafone has a nearly 30-year presence and commitment to Africa? Today, they operate locally rooted businesses in eight African countries, from the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ghana, Kenya, Lesotho, Mozambique, South Africa, Tanzania, and Egypt. They connect over 170 million Africans to a range of mobile and lifestyle services through their networks while closing the mobile gender gap for an estimated 46.2 million active female customers across the continent. Their digital solutions are promoting education, improving healthcare, and preparing the African youth for a digital society. They are also increasing access to financial services through mobile handsets, including M-Pesa, Africa's most popular payments platform. Now, on this podcast series, we focus a lot on North America, but today we're going to be asking the question or finding out what makes Africa so special and unique. Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the technological implications brought about by the next industrial revolution and how this can potentially help solve the biggest problems facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me as ever is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee. So today's guest is Mr. Vic Patel. Now, I've known Vic for many years, but he's currently part of Vodafone Group, leading the expansion of the successful global technology partnership program in over 50 markets. Vic plays an extremely important role for Vodafone's partners and operations in Africa. Vic is also responsible for a number of social purpose programs that utilize technology, such as mobile financial systems and digital agriculture. He is the chair and founder of Vodafone's Multicultural Inclusion Initiative. Now, Vic has held senior positions over the years at Telefonica O2 and and Motorola, to name a few, and has worked, obviously, in the UK, the Americas, Germany, and China. Currently, Vic is focusing on initiatives across Africa and in Japan. So I'd like to welcome to the great indoors today, Mr. Vic Patel. So I'd like to welcome our guest to the great indoors today, all the way from England, Mr. Vic Patel. Vic, welcome to the great indoors. Thank you for having me, Matt. I kind of gave it away in the in the uh, uh, in your intro there, but where are you enjoying the great indoors from today, more specifically? So I'm in southeast England, uh, in a small village near Ascot, which is about fifty miles west of uh, central London. Now this is something. I like to uh, ask all the guests, and I suspect I may know the answer to this one, but if you could come on right now to any song as your intro, and we'll make that happen in post, what would that song be? You see, we both have a passion for Liverpool Football Club, so I guess You'll Never Walk Alone could come into it. I love the uh, the Tiago Alcantara Cuba remix, but more recently we've got a Jurgen Klopp song. I forget what, what song, the Beatles song, originally came from. I feel fine. I feel fine. There you go. Where yeah, yeah. Yoga made a promise. I'm in love with him and I feel fine. 
Do you want to uh, do you want to sing it for our listeners, Vic? Larissa's absolutely. heard me. Larissa's heard me sing it, and look, maybe we could sing it together if you're ready. Do you want to well, lead the way? Well, I t- I'll tell you what. Let's see how the, the 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 show goes, and towards the end of it, if we get to a point and there's time, and I'm hoping there isn't, I'm more than happy to give it a go. <laughs> we almost had a first there, didn't we? We almost had a first. One of our guests singing for us, but that's great. Now, um, brilliant. So, thank you for joining us, Vic. It's it's great to to see you and and, and to speak to you. Um, and for our listeners, give us a, a bit of a background on your career. Uh, today, right up to uh, just prior joining Vodafone Group? I'll make it brief because um, I'm sure there are much more exciting ones to listen to. But I grew up in, was born in London, immigrant family, first kid born in the UK from my parents were from East Africa and then originally India. I lived in North London, then above a shop in Harleston, Northwest London, and mm-hmm. lived in between two council estates. Uh, growing up, which was always fun, and every day was a, was a challenge. <laughs> but every day was a new day, and there was a lot of colourful events around us. But yeah, so I lived there till, till I was uh, at uni. Uh, went to uni, studied computer science when it wasn't fashionable. And today, I think you have to pass many things to get into it. And at the time, you did less. That was cool. But then I joined Cellnet, which is now known as Telefonica O2 in the UK, as a, an engineering graduate. I, I knew it wasn't for me, but it was a really good basis for all the work that I had done beforehand because it put some structure into some of the things that I was thinking about. I'm, I'm more mid-brain than I am right-brain, but I, when I was younger, I was, I was always coming up with ideas and not being able to structure them. And uh, I think that, that that training just helped me. And soon after, you know, they realized that I was no good at engineering. And so to, you know, gave me commercial roles like I ran SMS, uh, then I worked on prepaid. I then worked on devices, and uh, devices is pretty much where you and I met. I was yeah. your customer for many years, and then we were co- we were colleagues at Motorola. The good old uh, days. I think the good old days. Uh, I then spent my first time in Vodafone, uh, then left and went to a company called Brightstar, where um, a friend of mine uh, he founded it, Marcelo Clore, amazing individual, um, self-made, uh, very very smart taught me a lot actually and although we were based in different parts he was in miami i was based in hong kong every day was a school day being with him and i will always treasure those moments i then came back to vodafone because we sold bright star to softbank but in between then there was a couple of gigs one in sky tv um, for a short while and GlaxoSmithKline. so that's kind of my career from a work perspective from a home perspective i'm married to hina uh we've been married will be 23 years this year Two kids, Dylan, who's 20, and at uni in Nottingham, and Annie, who's going to be 18 in July. So, wow. so yeah, that's um, uh, that's us. No pets. We had we had fish. I grew up with dogs and cats. Um, no, and, and we we know Marcelo well because obviously he he then went and became the CEO of Sprint, um, that was one of our biggest customers prior to the merger with T-Mobile. And um, do you still do you still speak to him, Vic? I know he, he's got his football club now, right, in Miami as well with with Beckham. So by text every now and again, not so much recently. However, he's got three clubs. I think he's got he's got investment in a club in Spain. Mm-hmm. He's got Bolivar in Bolivia, and then into Miami investment. Okay, that's brilliant. That's great. I think um, your your career journey is 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 fascinating, Vic, and obviously we. 
we worked together at Motorola and had some great times. But tell us about what you're doing at Vodafone Group right now, because it's a really, really exciting time for Vodafone. And I think you've done some amazing stuff uh, in your tenure there. Give, a, give our listeners a bit of a background at your journey at Vodafone today. Sure. I spent most of my life in devices and products, from buying it for, an, for a network, for a carrier, through to learning how it was made from silicon when I was at Motorola. I then went to Vodafone initially to run the devices team for Vodafone Group based out of Germany. And what we learned was that we were able to influence customers' usage on a phone just by looking at the design and the user experience that customers were going through. And uh, I found that fascinating, not just from a software, but also a hardware perspective. And as phones became smarter, we wanted to make them more accessible. So lower the costs, buy them in volume. And Vodafone was bigger than Telefonic Road 2. So we bought more devices and we were able to have more of the agenda. I then went to Brightstar to look at making more products and we were a distributor. So we sold them. But then now, more recently in Vodafone, I started here looking after Africa initially, and specifically in the division called Partner Markets. And Partner Markets are uh, a division of Vodafone where we don't have any equity in that particular market, but we support that market's growth through either our scale knowledge, our brand usage, our knowledge of how to build products and services into the marketplace. And actually, it's the biggest telco community in the world. We have over nearly a billion customers on our partner market network footprint. And actually, 50 countries we're in. So we do everything from greenfields, where we just built one in Oman, through to looking after you know customers um, in, in Canada. Rogers are our partner. Even Rogers, with all its size, at the time felt that there was probably more that they could do to accelerate their growth using someone like Vodafone. So somebody in our team would have gone out there and, um, and said, look, this is what we do. We eat our lunch because everything we tell you, we do ourselves in our 20 plus mm-hmm. markets uh, and our 4950 partners around the world. I look after a part of that, which is I look after all the expansion. So I go into new markets, look for green fields, look for markets they may need someone like Vodafone to join a family for buying, for brand, for knowledge. Mm-hmm. And today, things are very different, right? So we are a very much platform-based company, or we've got a digital platform. I can talk a bit more about that. We have a mobile money platform. And some of these services people want, and they and they come to us and said, look, you know, let's, let's, let's work together on that. So I do that now, footprint expansion and business development for uh, uh, within Vodafone Group. All oh, right, it sounds it sounds amazing. Can you give us an example of of uh, I like the, the the mobile financial services angle. Uh, can you give an example of uh, uh, a carrier that that you've worked with and collaborated with to deliver that? Well, our mobile services platform is called M-Pesa. We started it in Kenya, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Vodafone Group put some investment into that development, and then the subsequent CEOs at the time, Michael Joseph. Bob Collymore, there were two you know, long-term CEOs, worked at building that into the market as a service. Now, when you think about these places, their fo- most, most users, their phone is their address, it's their bank. And at a time where there was no smartphone, so to speak, or affordable smartphone, we created a mobile money service, which was secure, fast, and available on 2G. But the biggest thing is when you, when you make money more available to people, 
even if it's just to transfer money faster, actually you build microeconomies. Yeah. And um, you know, if I wanted to pay 300 shillings for someone to fix my mother's roof in Kisumu and I'm in Kenya, I would just pay it because there'd be, you can just do that using M-Pesa. M-Pesa, I was told the other day, is uh, nearly 50% of the country's GDP runs off it in Kenya. Wow. So, and in Tanzania, it's even even larger. So, you know, we've taken that into from Kenya into other markets. But here's a cool thing about that. We found, actually, that if we could loan people money, then they could then build their own businesses. If most people didn't have access to banks, but they had access to their phone, we knew their credit history and rating because of them being M-Pesa customers. Mm-hmm. So we had the best information about that particular customer and then were able to provide loan amounts to that individual who would then take that loan amount, build a business, and then we'd work on that. And and that evolution you'll see today in many other companies. Charities do it. Kiva is a great charity. If you, you should look it up. I mean, Jessica does yeah. an amazing job there creating microfinancing for developing markets. I used to work on a charity in India called the Darjeeling Children's Trust and go out there every two years with, you know, my my aunt and, and uh, one of her friends set it up when they were on a trip out there. And uh, they saw the hardship. They were, they were doing teaching English as a foreign language. And what came back from it was there's some people here that need help. So I would go back with her mm. maybe every two years or so. And we've, we've put kids through school, built orphanages. But the thing, the story I want to tell you is that we also wanted to help families. And we felt that, you know, we should give the money to the parents. And yeah. in a very traditional, you know, Indian, Northeast Indian household, the male would be the dominant person. And we found that the money that we were giving wasn't as effective as where the mother was a dominant parent. And so we created an environment of mothers to get some money uh, to help build and help with courses, education. You do hotel courses and you do, a, God, what was it, nursing courses, courses that were accessible that we could afford. Wow. And the same applied, by the way, in Kenya, right? Yeah, in yeah. No, it's amazing. And look, it's really, for me, it's spectacularly interesting because on this show, we're pretty much always focused on North America and everything. But the, the the African continent, like you said there, what you can do as far as providing, like you said, banking, basically, finance, which is the oil of the economy, you know, from a mobile perspective is, is, is groundbreaking. What other exciting opportunities do you see on the African continent? Because I've got to be honest. I, I'm so focused on North America, and occasionally we we dive into Europe. But it's it's really fascinating. What other uh, opportunities or developments are you seeing there, Vic? Before I talk about Africa, in terms of perspective, actually, that is a pretty common North American or Western Europe response. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I remember we've done a lot of work in Africa, and sometimes when I would go back to London, I'd almost go back to basics to say. This is Africa, you know, but, and not just within people or with people I worked with, but other influencing groups. You know, I'd work with governments, with banks, and there'd be there'd be knowledge. But I think now with with the internet and with a lot more focus on growth, and also the big OTT players looking at Africa for the next billion users, so to speak. You know, that's where the that's where the economy and the drive is coming from. The energy, really. So if I was to step back and say most of the continent, the 54 countries, actually, it's quite young. 
Uh, I think over half uh, under 25, maybe even younger. I know the number in Nigeria because I just wrote it the other day. It's 43% under 14 or something. I mean, it's just ridiculously low number. And, and Nigeria in itself, 200 million, 211 million people, super energy, very localized, lots of different communities. And mm-hmm. when they come together, it's just amazing. The competition's right. They want to build local. They want to almost local. They want to see glo- global, but they want to see build local. Um, yeah, yeah. And it helps with everything. It's as you say, you know, with the cost of smartphones getting down to $40 for 4G, actually lower if you look hard enough and even lower if you look even further, it starts becoming accessible, the tool to get more productive. Yeah. So um, Africa super young, uh, data hungry. It's starting a lot of Chinese influence uh, in terms of the development. So when I go there, I see a lot of roads being built uh, by Chinese construction. Money is being loaned, right? So, but then you've got the United Nations um, self the Sustainable Development Goals, and um, you know there's money flowing into the markets and it's digitizing. The great thing about Africa, it doesn't have legacy. But when we build there, we're building actually next gen really fast. One of the things we, we focus on and that we've, we've brought it up a couple of times is the next iteration of the internet, obviously, which is being prophesized as the metaverse. And we talk about that journey from standalone home internet, and then there was obviously mobile telephony, then mobile internet, then 4G-driven applications. But like you said, for, for, for Africa, Everything is in that, their their only access to the internet has been delivered by that smartphone, right? They haven't had any even cultural legacy of a standalone PC with a 56K dial-up. Everything is driven from that smartphone. Even if you read the book, The Ugly Truth, where they look at some of the developing countries in the world, the main news channel for the developing countries has been Facebook, right? Because that's their portal, that's their access. And when you see the disinformation or... Uh, on on Facebook, it can be cause even greater problems um, in those in those developing economies. So, where is is Africa now? You, you mentioned four G, right? What what is the smartphone penetration and the four G rollout? Because obviously now we're we're in five G. We're talking about five G a lot. We're talking about the different five G use cases and the metaverse and edge compute and private enterprise networks. But Africa. Where is it? It's at 4G right now with a, 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 a pretty healthy smartphone penetration rate? Not as high as people think, but I'll give you some examples. So if I was to take Nigeria as an example, you'd say they're just under 60% smartphone penetrated, an 88% market, you know, full market mobile penetration. But the price point is past its inflection point. So every, so you will start, you know, having more new and second-hand handsets in the marketplace for that market to grow. And there's a there's enough of you know a market for it. But four G is the new bearer. I mean, there is still five G in Nigeria. They've just released two licenses. MTN and Mafab have have those two licenses, but they haven't launched services on them yet. Yeah. Um, but four uh, G is actually good enough. And then, and then why? Okay, so 
everybody loves sports in Nigeria. So there's a fascination with international sports and watching videos, localized content, news. Go to India, it's Bollywood, cricket. It's a different kind of mix. I think a lot of it's down to uh, the aptitude of the government and the aptitude mm-hmm. of the regulator. So, yeah. um, and it's a forming, it's a forming regulator structure across Africa. You have it more secure in South Africa, less secure in some of the other markets. But overall, I'd say it's young, it's data hungry, it's trying to desperately get good connectivity. If there's anything I'd say about actually Africa, it could probably do with better service of technology. But we are doing projects there on you know digitizing farms, digitizing ports. It's not quite smart city yet. Yeah. Um, but then who, where is it? Smart city, yeah. you know. Yeah. So everyone's suffering with that one. Yeah. But I think how does it fit? It must be personally gratifying like you mentioned before the digital the digitalization of their societies and and the smartphone revolution does to their standard of living is such an exponential increase than we would see in the west right so you're you're elevating your people out of poverty you're increasing the gdp you're giving them opportunity so there's there's something intensely altruistic and it must be extremely, it must feel great, right, Vic? Does it, I mean, when we talked about your career journey, to be working in in some of these countries and, and being able to provide those services, it, it, it must be a highlight. I didn't mention at the start of this that actually I've lived in quite a few places around the world um, oh. from uh, my time in the UK through different parts, uh, Chicago, Dusseldorf, Hong Kong, and then many, many many, many months across different parts of Africa. Yeah. And what I find is that um, sometimes it's just not understood how to get things done. Um, sometimes there's a fear of getting things done because there's, there's no real map in any country have had to get things done. And if you speak to some of the, the, the vendors, it almost needs like a, somebody else to come in and say, come with me because we've got this plan. And we're seeing more of that, by the way. The amount of investment going across Africa is is phenomenal. But you're right. You know, we've with mobile money, it has made a big difference in Kenya. With some of the services uh, that we've managed to do from network schools, where we've just we've had a network in a box. We literally just open it up. You get connectivity. We give people that, you know, iPads, and they learn. And we've we've put that in not just in schools, but refugee places. A lot of technology just allows you to connect more. And what we do is we learn. Right, so uh, we learn every time in one part of the world, and because Vodafone is so big, we then almost put it in our data ocean and then drop it down somewhere else. Yeah, and um, actually, that's part of my job. I'm able to say that you know I have 70 brains working on the same problem, and there's a market that looks like yours somewhere. And here's what we do, by the way. Uh, yeah. Maybe this works here. But I'd say one more thing: if there's one thing that we could do better, it's about getting more training in the market because I don't really like going to a country, seeing a bunch of expats and they pretty much, you know, run that business. We yeah. built a, we built a network called Vodafone Zambia in 16 and half our workforce wanted 25. That just changed the thought process, the agile, the agility and thinking that nothing's a problem. Um, and it grew to a different you know, demographic much faster. And you, and you find this in, the more digitally native companies like Meta, you know, that when they yeah. first started, there was a lot of really smart young people saying that nothing's nothing's impossible. 
It sounds really great. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's. Uh, I, I'm fascinated, and and it's a different complexion on things that that we typically discuss on this podcast. Um, but changing gears just a little bit, Vic, and and another thing that you're uh, responsible for and play a big part of in Vodafone is multicultural inclusion, right? But give our uh, listeners a bit of a, a background on that initiative and and what you're doing there. Sure. COVID was an interesting time. For a lot of people, they became reflective on what they were doing, how they were doing it. Was it right? Did they want to change? Because no one actually knew when it would end. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, we, we always assumed that in three months, things will be back to normal. And then when you had like three iterations of three months where it wasn't back to normal, it was going to be different going forward, right? And we were no different. And in between all that, George Floyd happened. And the world stopped. Mm-hmm. Corporations stopped. And they just asked themselves, does this behavior happen within our walls? And you'll be naive to think that it doesn't happen. But it's to the extent where it impacts. Some people would think it's to, to the extent where it impacts business. But actually, we took a different perspective of where it impacts psychological safety, empowerment, mental health, welfare. And, and let me just give you a, a short story, right? So we asked this question uh, within Vodafone, and we had this, this group of people called the Multicultural Inclusion Network. Thousands of people have joined it within Vodafone, uh, but I didn't know it existed. And I have a person of a different culture, you know, as an immigrant in the UK. And actually, they were there to just tell people about their story, you know, hey, look, I'm I celebrate things differently. Yeah. Not just respect my culture, but just also just know that I'm a little bit different to you. Uh, what we found in this whole story was that they were r- really badly underrepresented within the business, even as a percentage of our population in the country. But then also some of these stories that you were hearing would never surface because there'd be a layer uh, in management that just doesn't go above because Typically, when you complain about something in your company, if you've, been, if you've been badly treated, there's a fear that you're that's a terminal conversation. I have a problem with my boss. Okay, so how do I deal with this? And we're not um, built as businesses to really have the time to understand how that you know really works. And we're getting we're getting a lot better today. And that's all driven by the fact that when we first start working, and it happened to me because this is my example here. When I was 22, when I was working for O2, 25, my first management job, I hired people that I thought were like me. Yeah, I could get on with. I mean, forget culture like me because they weren't, but I could get on with, I could talk with, I could communicate with, I wouldn't find a problem with. Yeah. yeah. And then we worked together and we built. Actually, if you don't train a manager of how to look at difference is good and diversity is good, they'll always do that. And when yeah. that happens, one person has a thought. And then there's no other side thought because the person who's next to them is someone they are comfortable with. Then you have confirmation bias. Yeah. So biases occur, confirmation biases. Then you start thinking narrow. So I, I had this conversation with our leadership. I then also sat in interviews with 200 different people and to hear their stories. And what I found is there were, there were 14 reoccurring um, traits that were happening, you know, small things like I didn't CC you in a note, or I ignored your text, but I got everybody else's, you know, favorites. And and these kind of, you know, microaggressions that came through time um, actually impact. So when you come into work, you give all your auto works. Let's say it's 100%. Every time you have these microaggressions, less of you comes to work. And when less oh, of you yeah. comes to work, 
less of you give to work. So we built um, a campaign, me and this guy called Vinod Kumar, who's the CEO of our Vodafone business, um, to say, let's think about the me. And we built this thing called Spirit of Me, where you know we wanted to we wanted to raise the profile of psychological safety. We wanted to train leaders that it's more than just this, and then even the highlight impacts. And actually, you know, um, and and at Vodafone now give away within our unit a day a month to our employees. Uh, we call it Spirit of Me Day, and in that day we do a bunch of great things including um, we have like an open channel where we either watch YouTube videos together as a watch along and we comment on certain topics which are to do with mental health. Um, we, we talk about everything from personal wealth, you know, to how families are dealing with menopause. Right. And I know that's not a cultural thing, but it's about being stronger at work. Yeah. So um, um, the Multicultural Inclusion Network is there to help people from different cultures celebrate the difference um, in a way which is not, and I'll use the word here because companies get scared when there's almost these ERGs, as we call it North America, employee resource groups. Uh, you know, some, they HR worry about maybe them becoming militant. But there's a, and this is me speaking truthfully here, but there's a, an unwritten, you know, here's my rule book of how we should run the company. And by the way, if the people feel differently, there should be a critical eye looking at it. And at Vodafone, we embraced it. You know, we sat back and said, we don't know all the answers. Um, I spoke to people in Google, Facebook, Sky, said we have similar issues. You know, by proxy, we did a few things. The first thing we did is we put, you know, diversity targets in our company to say, let's have a bit more equity across our group. Um, Level it out so it's a bit more representative of the market. Um, and then let's get training it with standard training, not bystanders, where I see it happening and I say nothing. So no, it's amazing. Amazing. And I love the way you articulate it, Vic. And, and I think as well, one of the things that, that we, a, a more diverse business is a more successful business, right? So, you know, you, and we've, we've seen it. We've seen diversity and inclusion come under a microscope during the pandemic. It's on the table. It's been one of those things that's lifted to the surface, like other issues like mental health and the problems in Gen Z. But it's uh, it, it's a fascinating, fascinating initiative. So congratulations. I'm, I'm in awe of that. I think it's brilliant. So you mentioned Gen Z or Gen Z uh, in your part of the world. They're different. They choose us. We don't choose them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more purpose-driven individuals at a younger age than we ever had. There's more knowledge on a raft of different things and people have choices. So if you want a decent place and a decent, you know, next generation leadership, your company has to be more um, absorbing. I'll just say one last thing. Before I took, I'm now chair of the uh, Multicultural Inclusion Network. I was just an exec sponsor initially and I worked with the co-chairs and now I sit with them. And um, one of the things that I did before I took the role is I thought about it because genuinely, I thought about what kind of an impact would this have to our leadership if I'm a critical eye on their business? You know, a person of color coming up to a very, you know, differently culturally set, you know, leadership team. Actually, our leadership team is actually quite multicultural. Our top team is. And then you start filtering down to different levels. You have different positions. But actually, we are really embracing it. 
you know, That's HR great, within yeah. Vodafone have made a really good set of steps in building um, positive direction in it. We have a great DNI team within the, the, the company which we work with. And, uh, you know, we get the voice um, from from raw to, you know, change a lot faster. And that's kind of our role as leaders within it. No, it's amazing. It's, it's really good. And, you know, I worked at Vodafone back in the day in, in Newbury, right, before I, I went to before I went to Motorola. And, and the leadership at the time was known as the Newbury Mafia, right? So Christopher Gent, Peter Bamford, Julian Horn-Smith. So, yeah, uh, but I hear something about it, so Chris Gent. So yeah. one is his, pre- his successor was from India. Yeah, Aaron, uh, Aaron Saran. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, an ex, you know, from Punjab, boxer family, yeah. military background, yeah. one of the a gentleman. Yeah, so yeah. I think... I think he was a lot smart. I mean, on the front of it, maybe that's the way it was all set up. But actually, layered down, he he also recognised the, um, the value of it. Two good books which I had on this. Um, one is Matthew Said's Rebel Ideas. Give a shout out to that. And Outliers by Gladwell, which um, a lot of people have recommended. But yeah, two reasonably good books on on this. Not big reads, quite light. Um, yeah. So yeah, you'll enjoy both. So brilliant, Vic. Now, when we talk about Vodafone taking an inward look during the pandemic and the multicultural inclusion um, initiative that you chair sounds fascinating. One of the other things that we've picked up during the pandemic is the altruism or the, the obligation that the service providers have to the communities they serve, right? So when we spoke with Mike Rizari from US Cellular, he talked about you know, they were rolling out mobile hotspots for, for education. When we spoke to Tammy Irwin uh, from Verizon, you know, they were doing some incredible initiatives in the communities uh, to bridge the digital divide. What initiatives have, has Vodafone Group been, or, or been engaged with during the pandemic to help serve the communities in the countries that they operate in? So, um we're in many countries with very differing demographics and backgrounds and needs um, for each market, you know, from giving health workers uh, free access to data through to SIM cards, you know, for people that were in uh, SIM cards working with Facebook and, you know, getting the portal devices and Samsung and tablets into the Nightingale hospitals. All of those, all of those things, you know, were kind of the initial pieces of work. But then we also looked at, from a support perspective, how our business-to-business, our B2B business needed support because they moved very differently. You know, our business actually grew in the B2B space during the pandemic because people were working from home. So yeah. they needed services. They needed better, better bandwidth. They needed you know, affordable, affordable pricing. And all of that activity was something which we built, and some of it, very fast because it was always on the roadmap, but it was just needed a lot faster. I mean, look at what happened to Zoom. You know, yeah. everything was Skype. And if you're lucky, um, you know, sometimes it was brilliant. Sometimes it clearly wasn't. <laughs> but now yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Zoom came in and just saw the gap and it was right timing, right place. Other things, you know, we, we did things like uh, help schools out, um, not just with tablets, but 
kids were learning from home and there were people who couldn't afford laptops, computers. We had um, many of our customers donate their secondhand handsets and iPads and we, we kind of made that mechanism, that circular industry, we call it. We're able to then, you know, give it to someone else. And then in the in the in our growth markets, which you know have different reasons and different different problems with with COVID, one of the biggest things we did was we created software on medicine logistics. What we found was that the Pfizer vaccine, which had to be stored at a certain temperature, a lot of it in some of our markets was being thrown away because it either couldn't be no one knew it was there or in a particular location. Or the, um, the, it had gone beyond its date. So we created software through our mezzanine business in, in South Africa um, to help support that. And that was then rolled out to different countries. Mm-hmm. So I could be here for hours telling you about all the different things we did. Yeah. Technology allows a lot more of the problems to be solved, um, not just by providing information, but with geotagging, you know, with software, with good data access, you're able to, you know, almost microcompute issues. Mm-hmm. And and we did that quite a bit. We worked with our competitors loads. Yeah, because yeah. it wasn't it wasn't that, you know, a competitive advantage to have a problem, to, to have a solution rather. And that was fun. Yeah, because yeah. you know, yeah. we got a lot of great good heads in one room. No, but I think it's it's a really good point. And it is this moment of reflection during the pandemic for everybody, right? And I think I personally think technology got a rebrand during COVID because pre-COVID, kids were spending too much time on their devices in front of screens. People were chatting with virtual friends. Did they really exist? You know, you need to get out more. You're spending too much time gaming, blah, blah, blah. Technology was, was, was I, I think, a bit of a bad guy. And it got a rebrand through the pandemic as far as it was the savior that helped underpin society. And I think a lot of the tech companies said, hey, we're the good guys. This feels good. I feel like we're making a real difference to society here. And I think that's a trend we've seen to everybody we've spoken to in in tech. Do you get that feeling at Vodafone, that Vodafone now is looking uh, at at the world slightly differently now, the way they do business? I love that phrase you've just used, which is um, we've got a rebrand during COVID. Tech got a rebrand. I'll use that if you don't mind. (laughs) For most of us that have worked in this industry for now, this is my, my third decade, we've always used tech to improve lives. My first job was looking after SMS. And I remember at the time, you couldn't send SMSs to other networks. So yeah. messaging was only for on, on net, as we called it. I remember going to see um, our um, actually a Canadian, Canadian guy, Kent Thexton. He was our, he was our, he was our marketing director. And I said, look, I've just been given this job. The first thing I'd like to do is send messages to other networks. And he says, well, here's a bunch of reasons why you, you can't do it. And then just give me more reasons why you can. And so the first thing I did was I did a top 30 managers like hit list of who was sending more messages. And it was like a league table. And within three months, they all wanted to be number one. And when they sent more messages, they got the gist of why to do it. So, you know, we got the support and then we got the money to expand the SMSCs. Then I went to see a bank. I said, we've got this service called SMS, right? It's great. <laughs> you might have used it. <laughs> but it would have been really good when I was at uni and you could tell me when I was going into my overdraft before yeah. I got there and got a charge. And I think text messaging can do that. 
Yeah. And we built it. And we built it in no time. And then the next thing you know, you know, mobile banking is as big as it is now. There'll be many fathers of mobile banking, but that story happened, you know, through just one medium of of, of mobile banking. So if I if I fast forward it, I think what's happening now is that it's a bit more visible and it's affecting more people's lives. And it's your point you made earlier. Tech before was, you know, your kids, right? Because they're the yeah, but actually it's everybody. Yeah, you know, but all generations use smartphones. I think that's the big difference. It affects everyone. Yeah. No, it's good. I look, we, we you teed me up perfect for for where I want to go next. A bit of a walk down memory lane, and you just gave a, a, a wonderful uh, example of uh, of the introduction of SMS. Now, but you've been involved in this industry, you know, for a long time. You've seen all the various G's come along, right? All the different iterations, all the different buzzwords come and go, but for a little walk down memory lane, in your career to date, what has been the biggest technical innovation that's made you go, wow, or indeed even taken your breath away? Because I know you've been involved in some pretty cool stuff, but just taking a look back, what, what's been the thing that's really made you go, this is going to change the world? Well, the most obvious one is the iPhone changed, changed the game. And um, um, it's not as if we didn't see it coming. And you know, I've worked with some of the best hardware designers in the world throughout their time. And we worked with Jim Wicks many years. Yeah. And, you know, very, very smart people. But it needed someone like Jobs to step back and say, actually, it's not just about the piece of plastic. It's about what you do with it. And it's the platform, right? So I'll create a safe space where on one side of it, there's people. On the other side of it, there are things you can do with people. And they said, well, let's make the line even longer and put people on the other side, right? So, you know, through me, through an app, I can now speak, do something else with somebody else. And then it became, I can talk to machines. And then it became, I can find my way using ways with a BA Baracus voiceover, right? Yeah. It's a, a, it just allowed me to uh, modulize things. Actually, for me, uh, also, outside of the iPhone, I worked at Sky many years ago, Sky TV's UK uh, media company. My job was to build Sky Plus, which is effectively. Um, just I had Sky TiVo. Plus. Yeah, yeah, I had Sky Plus. Right. Yeah. So taking TiVo and then just making it better. So literally, the first day I came to work, this guy called Brian Sullivan uh, came in and said, Right, there's TiVo. We're going to launch it. But by the way, I want you to break it and better it. So we literally opened it up. I said, well, This guy called David Halliday, who's an amazing designer, said, Okay, well, that's got one tuner. That's got two. Let's put two tuners in. But the biggest challenge was seeing the Hollywood studios and saying, actually, we want to record your things so people can time shift. And that mind shift change of time shifting was a conversation we were having in 2000. Yeah. And Tiva helped us. But you know, that was the first of breaking the mold of what you can do with a piece of plastic. Yeah, um, so yeah. I would say the iPhone clearly because it's, it's, it's been the biggest single invention. Yeah, you know, I look at my, I look at me today, and I still use an iPhone, um, and it's they've locked you in now, <laughs> so, <it's, laughs> so I had to get out. Now, so I think that's that's perfect, and let's take a look forward now because we've been speculating, and everybody's speculating right now as as five G sweeps across the United States, and the big thing is what's the next use case? Driverless cars you know, uh, automated manufacturing, all these things people are talking about. But the big thing that's got everybody's attention is the metaverse, right? You, could, you can't go to any trade show now 
Not a day goes by where the metaverse doesn't pop up in something or other. What do you think, Vic? What's your perspective on the metaverse? Is it another hype or do you, you know, based on your experience, do you see something really valuable in it? So I had to explain this to my 84-year-old aunt, which was <laughs> probably the hardest thing I had to do. Yeah. But the and most important thing is, did she get it? No, did I get it? Forgive me, did she get it? Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I just, you know, uh, okay, let me put it in a bit more um um and let me put it in not that speak, because that was interesting in two languages. I mean, the internet is linear, right? So it's it's kind of, you know, um, limited sensory experiences. And for me, the metaverse just adds more senses to make it more realistic. You might remember Dinesh, Dinesh Chand, who used to work at uh, Samsung. Used to, yeah. who, he went to, he's at Meta now. You know, he looks after the BD for the messaging platforms. It, well, his first job, and he worked for me in Hong Kong, but his first job was um, Oculus. And so oh, we, yeah. we, we became really close to Hong Kong. And then, you know, he came around one day and says, hey, put this on the kids. They put it on and they're like walking into each other yeah, and all sorts of things. But they're really a different world. And this was many when it was when the Oculus headset was very, very new. But what I was thinking then was that actually you've just invoked another sense. And this will only get better and faster through technology and bandwidth and latency and everything else. So when that's faster and I can move more senses, actually I feel as if I can have a different experience. Mm -hmm. And that was that was my attempt at explanation to the 84, my 84 year old aunt. The other part of it was from a hardware perspective, you can then look at feel and smell. And I think yeah. the feel is easier because there people are working on gloves. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So you've got the you've got the hearing, you've got the eyesight, you've got the ability to touch things and have pressure pads back on for sensory. Then you've only got a few more left to make it more real. And that's mm -hmm. when it starts getting interesting. Because yeah. then you can really take yourself. It would be, you know, not doing this through a linear conversation through a screen in front of me with a camera that kind of that high. You know, I'd just be looking at you and we'd be sitting in a pub. But yeah, I through advertising. <laughs> <laughs> putting the world to right yeah. we'd be sitting down having this discussion next to each other in a pub in liverpool with jürgen klopp right that's that's that's, that's the use case so um we're going to go into the tgi to go round now right which is our quick fire multiple choice round i'm going to ask i'm going to give you two choices and you're going to tell me which one is more preferable to you Right, so this is this is a season. This is a new thing we do, but it really gives our listeners an insight into your personality. Go. Okay, here we go. TGI to go. So question number one: cats or dogs? Dogs. But you you just have fish right now. No, we have nothing now. But we had fish. Okay. But when we moved away, we gave them away uh, and actually lived for a really long time. And the person we gave it to kept calling it Goldie because it was a goldfish. <laughs> no imagination in name. Superman or Spider-Man? Spider-Man. The Maldives or Ibiza? The Maldives. Every uh, day. Nice choice. Nice choice. Daros is a beautiful island if you've not been. Singing or dancing? I can't sing. I'd love to sing, but dancing. But you must have been singing at Anfield the last oh, time you were there. I mean, no one can hear me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm amongst 53,000 and some. Yeah, so no one cares. 
Paris or Rome? Rome. Alan Partridge or Will Ferrell? Will Ferrell. Oh, okay. Nice Most Brits would say Alan Partridge. Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been uh, educating lots of my American colleagues like Larissa on Alan Partridge. Uh, to be honest, um, they're both dark. If you spend your time <laughs> looking for it, <laughs> here's a good one: James Bond or Jason Bourne? James Bond. I think we know this one: Indian or Chinese food? Indian. Reading or writing? Reading. Hiking or cycling? Hiking. I think I know the answer to this one: Apple or Android? Apple. Unfortunately, I'm locked. <laughs> I'm locked in. <laughs> Lords or Wembley? Lords, every day. As much as I love football, Lords every day. Oh, really? Yeah, I played a lot of cricket as a kid. Then I coached it. Uh, but um, I have been deprived of, of cricket for over six years now. But really, it's the one sport I can't get here. But who's uh, India playing in the Test uh, Series this summer? So right now, uh, oh, this summer, you got me. Uh, they're not here. I know that much. Pass. I know the IPL's on now. So everyone's uh, watching the Indian Premier League, which has become a big, you know, mammoth event. Yeah. Um, and England today had announced a new test captain, Ben Stokes. Ah, really? Did, I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah. But again, he's been phenomenal, right, the last few years. I mean, he's been out of this world, right? He's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, for a number of reasons, but he's just, yeah. I don't know. A lot of great players don't become good captains. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think um, we'll have to see, yeah. But I'm an India fan because it's the only thing I follow, which is not England, because I think probably because in the subcontinent where my family are from, you know, it was the only sport that was that was that we competed against. And then you, I think you don't get fed when you're seven if you follow England in, in the cricket. <laughs> New York or Los Angeles? New York. Mad- I think I know the answer to this one. Madrid or Manchester? Madrid. Who would you rather have, though? In the final? Yeah. Oh, Madrid, hands down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to yeah. just to just to pay back to the machine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I look. I, I, City are the best team in the world, and I'm a I'm I'm a Liverpool fan, and I will say both those coaches have raised the game to a level mm-hmm. which, in any sport, you know, to have that much of a jump. You have to have an ecosystem which you control and then the message getting across and that's why they're just amazing leaders um and i, I mean i don't watch a lot of north american sports i watched super bowl which was great i bet you i watched the halftime show which was brilliant. which is really great yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah no yeah. anyway enjoyed. no it's, it's good and, and talking about a, kind of a similar thing elon musk or jeff bezos and the reason i put this in is because of the recent twitter buy yeah. and i saw on the wall street journal and this is really I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on this Vic. when you talked before about steve jobs transforming the smartphone the wall street journal said this morning that elon musk is going to transform social media and i'm not sure i agree with that but anyway those two billionaires next to each other mm. which one would you rather have dinner with musk yeah Every day. I think what Bezos has done is amazing. He found a gap, completely looked at the full end to end, and then mm-hmm. did almost like a, um, you know, if you think about Apple when they when they grew, Jobs did all the thinking, all the planning, all the designing. I remember when they launched in O2 UK, there were stories about 
they couldn't they couldn't get a creative director to accept the grain of wood that the phone was going to sit on because it was a <laughs> holiday and the great and the creative director was steve jobs so that level of detail attention is you know phenomenal for an individual yeah. and you know you can only admire what he's done there's no but in this but the and elon is consistently reinventing different technologies yeah mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i think what he does is he puts a now he's smart with it, right? So he knows his own influence. I think what he'll do with um, what he'll do with with Twitter will improve the user experience. Yeah, I just have yeah. you know you have to have faith in it. Yeah. He's picking fights with Putin like physical punch-ups, which is a crazy thing to do. But I mean, he's. He, I think the one thing I think is he's veering into a political kind of world with the, with the Twitter buy. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see if he... uh, Because one of the things we discuss consistently on this podcast is the Communications Decency Act and Section 230 and and what Facebook... and uh, So it'll be really interesting to see what Elon does there. But uh, I think I'm with you as well. If I had to have a drink and dinner with one of those guys, I think it would be Elon Musk. Okay, well, brilliant. So that concludes the TGI to go. And look, we're almost coming to the end, Vic. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation and catching up with you again. But some final thoughts what's what's next for you what's the next big thing what what would you like to just leave with our listeners i think there's a lot to do still in bringing a bit more equity equity at work you know in 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 working with the people i've worked with in vodafone to look at how we can balance out what issues we're facing within a company our size um through to becoming a lot more um, open, diverse, which is what we are moving towards and actually have moved great strides. Maybe spend a little bit of time understanding that a bit more and seeing how we can change structures. Look, as a kid, I lived between two council estates and I ran a youth club at a church at 15 um, with a bunch of kids I studied Wing Chun with. And, wow. and we basically took kids off the street that were knifing each other. There was a big drug problem where we were, a lot of gang issues, and we just take them off the street. And then when you take a look at root cause, some of these kids just needed an, an association or a belonging. And we gave them that belonging in the church in the, uh, and I'm a Hindu, right? So, you know, to go to a place where they found safety. And I feel that from a work perspective, there's still some work to be done in, and it won't be perfect, but, you know, just improving the psychological safety. I remember speaking to one individual um, recently, and he said, in the last 12 months, you've just taught me the verbiage of what I've been suffering. Or like, and now we have the platform to talk about it. And I know my boss is a good person, but they don't realize that that activity is a microaggression and I'm impacted. It's inflamed because I'm from a minority, but actually it happens to everyone. It doesn't happen because you're a minority. It can happen to anyone. So the language is becoming a bit more open Then the ability to coach it out of the system rather than it being a terminal conversation is a big one. From a work perspective, we're doing some really cool things in Africa. A lot of them I can't talk about. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe next time if you, uh, I'll send you an update. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's super cool. And then in Europe, look, 5G is interesting, right? So um, through MPNs, through these smart ports, through the building of smart cities, I'm working with governments right now where they're trying to look at um, iNational ID. In Malawi, they had postcodes for the first time this week. Wow. In Oman, when we built that digital platform, the app to get people connected as a startup, you could do, you know, know your customer and number portability and connect up in seven minutes. 
So you can imagine mm-hmm. the amount of checks needed to get through that level of those level of hoops. And that you can then replicate, right? Because you've got use case, yeah. Before we were just a bunch of companies within Vodafone. Now we're a bunch of companies all teaching each other. And we're doing it at such a fast rate. And that's what's that's what Musk did at Tesla. And I've got right. an electric car. Considering I said earlier, I've done three million miles in the air, forced one travel less because I don't want to. But actually I don't need to most of the time. But what I found was uh, that if you have a if you have a problem with a car in California, it's fixed in Beijing. It's just a fixed a software drop. And we can do that through customer experiences. Really great catching up with Vic. Um, a great guy that I've known for, for many years with a great perspective. And you know, the work he is doing at Vodafone on multicultural inclusion is just simply brilliant and uh, inspirational. Thank you very much for joining us today, Vic. I really enjoyed uh, catching up and having that brilliant conversation. So please subscribe to our podcast and all the usual podcast channels. Leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. Check out two other Amdocs podcasts that are brilliant and available now, The Future of Tech with Avishai Sharlin and Points of View with our Chief Marketing Officer, Gil Rosen. Also visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors. And we'll be back in two weeks for another edition of TGI. I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in Toronto and have a great day wherever you are.